We have come to lesson five. We're in the book of Romans. This is lesson five. We're in chapter two. And remember, chapter one, Paul had reminded the Gentiles in Rome that they had been saved out of, and he listed a multitude of sins. Sins that were seemingly unforgivable. And then later in chapter 5, he's going to say of all of this, he's going to say this. He's going to say in verse 8, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Messiah died for us. And the point is this. You Gentiles were guilty of all these things, but God demonstrated his love for you by sending his son Yeshua to die for us. And then he says this in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, you therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else. For whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment is against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath When his righteous judgment will be revealed, God will give to each person according to what he has done to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, immortality. He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. And so he's saying, actually, is what he's saying is, God forgave you of all of this. How can you judge your brother harshly? And if you do, he's going to use that same measure which you judged on you. It's a biblical concept called mita keneged mita, Or in English, measure for measure. And it's exactly how the king judges. So this is where we left off. And I just wanted to read this today. We're not going to go through it again. I know some of you are saying, well, we already covered that. But I wanted to read it for continuity. And as I reread this, I couldn't help but think, as I combined it with the definition of sin, I had to wonder where on earth we ever got the idea that we could just go on sinning with impunity after we accept Yeshua. The simplest definition of sin is one given by the Apostle John recorded in 1 John chapter 3. He says, he says that sin is transgression of the Torah. And so Paul makes it quite clear to those believers in Rome that, in Rome that every transgression of the laws of God has consequences. And It's quite obvious that this tirade against the sins of the Gentiles was to remind them that they deserved exactly as the rest of the world deserves the wrath of God. And of course, to warn them of judging others. You know, and it's something we all tend to do. And by doing so, we put ourselves in the place of God. We're actually replacing God even as Adam wanted to replace God. 
Be as God. God's the creator of all men. It's he who laid out his reasonable expectations for creation. It's he who has expectations for each of us. And it is he who will decide if each of those he created performed to his expectation. And when you judge, you're putting yourself in his place. You're taking his seat. And as I said last week, as we come into a knowledge of God, we often turn that forgiveness that he's given us for our sins and our newfound confidence in right standing with God into a self-righteous platform to judge others who are not quite as far down the path as we are. The problem is, there's no one who's righteous, not one. Any righteousness you have is because of the grace of God. You have no platform from which to judge because Yeshua is sitting on the judgment seat and there is no room for you. There's only one on that seat. This judgmental attitude can be one of the most destructive problems when trying to witness the good news to others. Or, in our case, trying to restore the first century understanding of Scripture to the good news, and in the good news. And so because it's placing yourself in God's place, and because it's so destructive to the work God is trying to do in the lives of others, Paul says, don't do it. Don't do it because you too were in the same place, you too were guilty of the same sin, and at the point you judge others, God is going to judge you. And it's a common theme throughout Paul's letters. We see it in nearly all of his letters because... We see this mistake in the lives of nearly all men. It's our flesh that wants to be more righteous than the next fellow. The more our flesh that wants to be more knowledgeable than the next fellow. We have this sin desire to be better, a cut above everyone else, even though Yeshua makes it clear that we are all brothers. Next, he's going to get into the judgment of God. And it's kind of a tricky few verses here. So let's look at these. Verse 12 says, All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is, those who, it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. And each of those words for law in there you could replace with Torah. Paul is again saying, all who sin, and remember, sin is a violation of God's Torah, his law, all who sin without knowledge of Torah will also perish or be judged apart from the Torah. In other words, everyone will be judged and no one will be found innocent because of ignorance of the Torah. You're not going to be found innocent because you claim to be ignorant. He speaks above the Gentiles. Let me repeat it in verse chapter 1, verse 18. He says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, and we went over those, remember, and his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. There is no excuse. No one has an excuse. 
If you don't follow God, if you don't seek after God, you're going to be judged for that because you should have been able to look at his creation and understand that someone made it. You should have known that your life was not your own. You were made and you owe your life to the creator and you should have sought after the creator. But because you didn't seek him for that and all subsequent transgressions, you're going to be found guilty. You know, I am absolutely sure that there are going to be those on that day who are going to stand before the king and say, Lord, how can you judge me? I never had your word. I never had the Torah as the Jewish people and the Christians did. I didn't know about sin. And God's going to look at him and say, sorry, no excuse. Look at my creation. You should have known. If you don't live by God's laws for whatever reason, say you deny God exists. Or, as much of the church does today, we deny God's law for in, in favor of our own ideas because we know better. That was for old people back way back then. Then we're going to be judged for our denial of God or His precepts. But make no mistake, you're going to be judged. Just as the knowledge of God is plain for all to see, there's also in us a knowledge of things that are wrong to do. In other words, there is born in each of us a basic knowledge of good and evil. There's a certain understanding of of wrong. Adam was created with the knowledge of good. And when he ate from the tree, he became aware of evil, and you're his sons and daughters. When you sin, there are two times you're going to be convicted of that sin. First of those happens, and this is if you don't know Yeshua, even if you don't know Yeshua, your conscience convicts you. And the second comes later, after the pangs of conscience are gone, long gone, and that's when you come to know Yeshua. We're born with a knowledge of good and evil, our conscience, so that we're without excuse, without knowledge of Torah, you're still not innocent because there is no ignorance. Let me give you an example of this. When someone who knows no Torah, no laws of the Creator comes to faith in Yeshua and he stands there weeping for the sins they have committed, how did they know they were sinful? And yet he's Standing there weeping. They knew because we have to override this thing we call conscience. The first time we we sin, it confronts us. And then the next time we do it, it's a little easier. And you can actually get to the place where conscience is completely removed from your consciousness. You don't have it anymore. But it was there at one time convicting us. So just remember... Just So just as we should have known God, we should have known stealing, murder, and adultery were wrong. You know, we all at one time saw the effects of someone's death and the pain it caused their family at his loss or her loss. Well, when we commit murder, we have to ignore the pain it will cause to the one not only we're killing, but also the lives of those who love him. We know it's wrong. 
We all have seen the pain adultery causes to families. We have to ignore that pain and say within ourselves, my pleasure is more important than my brother's pain or my husband's pain or my wife's pain. You see, these things are apparent. And we're without excuse. At one time, we had to make a conscious decision to hurt someone else for the sake of our own pleasure or our own gain. We knew it was not right. Well, what Paul is saying is even if you never heard of the God of Israel or you denied God, you're guilty. You should have known. Even if you never heard thou shalt murder, you should have known from the pain it caused or adultery. You should have known from the pain it caused that it was wrong. So that those who are without Torah, that's those who are without Torah. But then he also says all who sin under the law will be judged by the law for it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. So what he's saying is all who sin under the law, in other words, all who sin having a knowledge of God's standard for righteous living, a knowledge of his Torah, will be judged according to that standard. And that's good news for some who who want to obey God's law who are, have a desire to live by God's instructions. But it's not so good for those who hear the word but then don't apply it to their lives because they're going to be judged by that high standard. And Yeshua, if you've read the Gospel of Matthew, sets the standard pretty high. And it's not so good for those who pick and choose either. You can't pick and choose which ones you want to keep, which things you want to keep. Let me give you an example of what I mean. If you go to Leviticus chapter 18, God ends the chapter with this. In verse 29 and 30, he says... Everyone who does any of these detestable things, such persons must be cut off from their people. Keep my requirements and do not follow any of these detestable customs that were practiced before you came. And do not defile yourselves with them. I am the Lord your God. And so then in the book of Leviticus, God lists off these detestable things. And then he concludes it with this statement that those people who do these things must be cut off. Any of these detestable things. Well, if we go back up a few verses in chapter 18, this is one of those. Do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman. That's detestable. And we went through this the other week, and I'm not going to go through it too much again this week, but as I noted a few weeks ago, some in the church have thrown this out and decided that this behavior is now acceptable and that we should accept it if not condone it, even though it's detestable to God. And they do this even to the degree that they've allowed those who have fallen into this practice, into what is detestable to God, to lead their congregations and teach others. They have made a judgment that overrides God's Torah in their lives. And they're going to be a judgment for that. Then there are those who say, and this is the ones I really want to get at today. Then there are the ones... (laughs) There's no, there's no escaping today. Then there are those who say, no, we can't allow what is detestable to God in our midst. We will not permit it. And a good example of this is what happened to the Lutherans in the ELCA. It divided the organization. Some allowed, others said no. Well, those who said, no, we cannot allow what is detestable to God, well, that was good. But I want to ask you something. Is it any better... Do you think that they're going to escape God's focus when confronted with their own detestable acts? 
Let's look a little farther up in Leviticus chapter 11 and see what it says. It says, There are some that only chew the cud or have a split hoof, but you must not eat them. The camel, it chews the cud, but does not have a split hoof, is ceremonially unclean for you. The coney, though it chews the cud, does not have a split hoof, it is unclean for you. The rabbit, though it chews the cud, does not have a split hoof, it's unclean for you. And the pig, though it has a split hoof completely divided, it does not chew the cud, it is unclean for you. You must not eat their meat or touch their carcasses, they are unclean for you. Of all living creatures in the water, in the seas, in the streams, you may eat of any that have fins and scales. But of the creatures of the seas or streams that do not have fins and scales, whether among the swarming things or among the living creatures in the water, you are to detest. And since you are to detest them, you must not eat their meat. You must detest their carcasses. Any living thing in the water that does not have fins and scales is detestable to you God tells us that these animals are detestable and the Hebrew word is the same word so how do we tell someone what they do is detestable to God and not acceptable and at the same time we take another bite out of our ham sandwich or say pass the shrimp you see you can't pick and choose you can't say this is detestable but this isn't anymore because oh they just couldn't eat this back then because they didn't know how to cook pork properly baloney it's detestable to you you can't disallow what is detestable to god while putting what is detestable to god in your mouth because it makes you a hypocrite just as simple as that now in verse 14 he goes on to say this I told you nobody had escaped today indeed when gentiles who do not have the law by nature, do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves. Even though they do not have the law, since they show the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their conscience is also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now defending them. Listen, this is a great verse for those of God's people who are serious about keeping his Torah. First it says... When Gentiles, and in this instance, the meaning is clear. The Gentiles he's writing to. Gentiles who have accepted Yeshua. And then it says, by nature, do things required by the Torah show that the Torah is written on their hearts. And the key word in that verse is nature. I put it up here. The nature of things. You see, once we accept Yeshua, it's natural for us to do the things of Torah. Even though we may not have read the Torah. Upon a knowledge of Yeshua, it's, it is the nature of things for us to have the Torah written on our hearts. So immediately at salvation, like I said earlier, we're convicted of things that we've done. Hence, our tears of repentance. We know that we were adulterers, homosexuals, thieves and the likes. We realize those things are wrong and repent and quit doing those things even though we may not have ever read the Torah yet to find out that they are wrong because we know they're wrong. We have this love of God's people at the center of our being now and we have the love of God at the center of our being. Now granted, we may not have the requirements of clean eating written on our hearts yet. No one 
I, when, when one eats a piece of pork, I don't believe the conscience convicts him of the uncleanness until he reads it, of course. I've yet to see someone come to know Yeshua and lie on the floor weeping for the piece of pork they had last night. Crying out to God for mercy for that piece of pork they ate last night. No, we weep because we have so many of God's moral transgressions in our lives. And while we're not troubled over the shrimp, we certainly, if we murder or commit adultery or steal or envy or deny the Creator, are convicted of our unrighteous behavior. And if we resist that behavior, we're not going to be judged by those offenses. And we're a witness of God's righteous standards. Whether or not we've heard Torah. If we don't resist and commit those offenses, we're going to be judged for it. And we witness to the world wickedness. But the neat thing here is we also get a definition of having God's Torah written on your hearts in this verse. Having the Torah on your heart is something that's debated in the church. There are those who feel, oh, we don't have to read that written law anymore because we have it on our hearts. In other words, we don't need to follow that written stuff anymore because now we've got it on our hearts. Well, according to Paul, having the Torah written on your hearts is evidenced by the things you do, by doing the things that are contained therein. Having the Torah on your heart means you will not transgress Torah any longer. And you should be consumed with what's on its pages. You should have a zeal for God's law. As the Jewish people did in the first century. They were zealous for the Torah. You know, if you say you're a believer and you pay no attention to Torah, and if you are in fact a Torah violator, you're going to be in danger of judgment. There's a judgment for that. If you have the Torah in your heart, you will by very nature... Do those things contained in the Torah, the love of God and the gratitude for His goodness, kindness and grace toward you will lead you to repentance and to a Torah observance. Not one that you find written down in books on a list of rules by a bunch of rabbis, but now you're going to obey by the guiding of Yeshua who indwells your heart. Now many people are going to say to me, I don't know because I've heard this before, They're going to say, Stan, why is it then? 90% of the believers are not following things like dietary laws. They're doing things that are detestable to God. Or they're not keeping the Sabbath, though it's holy to God. Well, folks, we're in the image of God. We have a free will. And sadly, 90% of the people in the church are told by their preachers and teachers that they don't have to worry about such things before they ever read the Bible. And because we have this great respect for our pastors and our teachers, we never give it another thought. We're taught by our teachers and it taints the way we read our Bibles. We read our Bibles through the lens that has been given us by those teachers. The rose-colored glasses they gave us. Now he finishes this discourse with this. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Yeshua the Messiah as my gospel declares. Notice he says, on the day. And of course, we could as easily say, on that day. Because it's talking about the day of the Lord. And Paul brings home the fact that at the end, on that day, there's going to be a judgment even of the inner thoughts of a man. The things that we do in secret. 
We all see the part of a man he wants us to see. But let me say, men are great at compartmentalizing. Well, what about the compartments that we don't see? What about the compartments that only the inside of his house sees? You know, the Catholic Church is having fits over this right now. Some priests, hey, you look at him on the outside, you have this man of God, pious looking to all. When he's alone in a different compartment, he's looking at pornography or sexually molesting people. And this is, of course, an extreme example. But Paul is saying that we all will, and one day we are all going to be laid bare, every compartment flung open, and we're going to be judged by what's inside. Keep that in mind for a minute, but I want to go over something else. Notice that Paul says, my gospel. What does it mean by my? Why would he phrase it so? Well, for one thing, it tells us that there's more than one gospel being preached. And that's why he has to say, my gospel. It tells us that there's more than likely one of those gospels being preached in Rome. And what are the characteristics of Paul's gospel, the one that he preaches? Well, one, Paul has taught that everyone, Jew and non-Jew alike, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he emphasizes that in chapter 3. He says this, But now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness from God comes through faith in Messiah Yeshua to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by grace through the redemption that came by Messiah Yeshua. How much is everyone? All have sinned. How much is all? Every mother's son, right? And daughter. You know, Isaiah says the same thing. Chapter 64, verse 6, he says, You come to help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continue to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we save? All of us have become like one who is unclean and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. You see, since all have sinned, Paul taught there's only one way of salvation for the Jew first and then for the Gentile. Now we've been speaking about Gentiles in Rome, but remember, about 20% of that congregation is going to be Jewish and he's about to unload on them as well. Don't think he's going to leave them out. Their sin might be a little different, but it's sin nonetheless. And so Paul teaches there's one way to salvation, and it's through the Messiah Yeshua. Because no one is righteous, not one. And in that regard, the gospel that Paul preaches also says there's no people group that you can join to make you part of the kingdom. Becoming Jewish, as was taught at that time, is not going to help you. One of the other gospels that was preached that you needed to be part of the Jewish people to be saved. Paul taught that being part of the Jewish people only made you part of a people group that also needs salvation like you do. Did nothing for you. The only group you could join was the kingdom of heaven and the only way was to accept the king and do as he did. And something else we need to see is that when he says, when God will judge the secrets through Yeshua the Messiah, as my gospel declares. I want you to know, he's not only just finishing this statement up about the Gentiles, but he's using this to transition 
because he's now going to speak to the Jewish members of that congregation, of the community. And we saw in the book of Matthew that many of the lives of the Jewish people looked pious on the outside, but often their inner man did not line up with their outward appearances either. And so Paul will continue on this discourse of hypocrisy, but he's going to then focus on the Jewish people, and we'll read that in a moment. But first, as we can see from this statement, Paul's gospel differs in another way. And it tells us who's going to be on the throne judging that day. It will be God, but he will be judging through the Messiah Yeshua. Key word, through. When the secrets of men's hearts are revealed, you're going to want a covering on that day. Let me tell you, you're going to want a covering. Think about this. When the secrets of your heart are revealed, wouldn't it be nice to have the one revealing the secrets be your friend and attorney? Notice it says, God will judge the secrets of men's heart. And the key word again is through. In other words, he's going to look at Messiah Yeshua. He's going to look to Messiah Yeshua and he's going to say, do you know this man? What are his deeds? And I don't know about you, but when God looks into my life, I want to be, I want it to be through the Messiah Yeshua. I want to be on my face saying, I'm a worm, not a man. I have no righteousness of my own. My deeds are as filthy rags. Have mercy on me, Lord. The only good thing I have in my life is my relationship with your son. And Yeshua then will then say, yes, Father, I know him. He's one whose price I have paid. And Paul teaches there's only one way that can happen. Because on the other hand, if you think you're righteous on that day, if you think your life was wonderful and dedicated to God, Yeshua tells us what's going to happen to those people. He told us in Matthew chapter 7, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. The point is, and Paul's gospel declares that on that day, you're going to want to know Yeshua. You're going to want to be viewed through Yeshua and not have him step aside and say, Father, I don't know him. Which means... You're going to want to know him. Not know about him. But you're going to want to know him. So I hope you spend some time in your prayer closet coming to know him. If not, you may have some difficulty on that day. Listen to what Paul says when he speaks of the armor of God. Listen to what he says. Put on the full armor of God. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. After you have done everything to stand, then stand firm. 
with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in its place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and in pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Friends, there's only one way to come to know Yeshua. It's through prayer. It's through communication. You can know about Him, but you can only come to know Him through time invested. If you want Him to direct your life, you need to be in prayer at all times. That's what Paul is saying. The New Covenant says, All will know me. From the least to the greatest. Not know about me. Not heard of me. But they will know me from the least to the greatest. And if you don't avail yourself of this relationship Yeshua has made possible. You're going to have a hard time on that day. No matter how you lived your life. And that is why Paul will say to those who are part to the Jewish people of the congregation, he'll say, now if you call yourself a Jew and if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide to the blind and a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants because you have the law embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? Friends, don't rely on anything other than your relationship with Yeshua. Because if you rely on the law, you're going to go before the king and say things like, didn't I do this? Didn't I do that? And you're going to hear, I don't know you. If you truly know the law, you're going to be too busy in your prayer closet praying as you walk through life. You're going to be too busy to judge others. You're going to be too busy trying to come to know and become like the one who's written on all of its pages. Too busy becoming like Yeshua. You'll be too busy to judge others and you won't be judged. Amen?